0: Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. My name is Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my co-host and husband, Tim Ketchum. Hello. We're really glad you're listening, and we are on episode 22.
1: 22, that's, that's the same number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet.
0: <laughs> Thank you for that fact for the day. Factoid. So we have been moving chronologically through the timeline of Jesus in the Bible, and we are still in the beginning, <laughs> the beginning of the world, really.
1: The beginning of the end.
0: The beginning of the end. The The last couple of episodes, we discussed Adam as the source of Eve, and likewise Jesus being the source of us, his yes. body, his bride, the church. And this time we're moving on to Genesis 3.
1: Bum, bum, bum. Major shift coming.
0: Okay, what's that about?
1: Well, this is where the villain gets introduced into the story. So... You've probably heard people say that Jesus is the answer, and the obvious question is, well, then what's the the question? Well, if Jesus is the Savior, what is he saving us from? If Jesus is Lord, what is he lording over? Or if Jesus is the solution, what is the problem? And if we want to put it in like a narrative or a movie kind of framework, we would say if Jesus is the hero then who or what is the villain? And this is actually a really important part of the story of the Bible because this is where the villain gets introduced into the story.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. So where are we going today?
1: So we're going to go from Genesis 3, uh, verses 1 through 5, and we're just going to get a little bit of a, a portrait, a little bit of a snapshot of this villain.
0: Great. Or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil.
1: Okay, so I think the first thing to kind of hit is this word serpent, because I think, you know, typically the devil, you know, or God's enemy gets depicted in a lot of different ways. And the most typical way is basically the figure that shows up on deviled ham uh, cans of meat. <laughs> We're
0: talking about the red guy with yeah. the
1: wings? Yeah, the red guy. Sometimes he has wings, um, but it's always a red pitchfork, right, and pointy red ears. The There's an interesting thing going on with the word here for serpent. And you, if you get into Hebrew, you'll find this is true with all Hebrew words, is that they tend to have multiple layers of meaning, which is kind of cool if you're creative, but it could be annoying if you're really craving accuracy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So creative people really love that. They're like, ooh, you know, it uh, it could mean this, it could mean that. And then people who want to be accurate, they're like, can you just nail it down? I just need to know what it actually means.
0: Can we just say, which one are we talking about? Which one are we talking about? Which definition?
1: Because that could shape the way you interpret the passage. Okay, I'm getting distracted. So the Hebrew word here is nakash, and like most words, it has a noun, a verb, and an adjective form. And the noun form uh, does, in fact, mean serpent or something that is serpentine in appearance. That's an important thing to note because it doesn't necessarily mean like the pictures always look like, is that we have a serpent wrapped around a tree that's talking.
0: Mm, not like a snake
1: right yeah. it doesn't mean it's not that it just means that there's a, a wider range it could be a serpentine appearance so in other words it could be a figure that has a scaly type of skin so that's that's the noun part the verb form of the kosh can mean deceived or divinizer a deceiver or a divinizer by divinizer, I mean basically someone who uh, practices magic. And if you kind of break magic down, it bas- it's basically about manipulating. It's about triangulating. It's about trying to get something, but you don't go, direct- go go directly for that thing. You have to go to another thing to get them to do what it is you want to do. Magic is basically about doing spells, incantations, uh, formulas, and the goal there is to manipulate another power source to do something for you that you want to be done. And so it is with it is out of your reach to do it. so you have to approach a third party and then they end up doing it for you. So there's there's this triangulation going on. And what's kind of interesting is that's exactly what we see happening here in Genesis 3. The serpent is wanting to do something but they need Adam and Eve to participate. They need them to cooperate. They're so he's triangulating through Adam and Eve to accomplish a task. Um essentially Adam and Eve are just pawns in the serpent's agenda. So That's uh, a great
0: way to put it. Pawns. Yeah. He's basically using using them.
1: He's using them. Yeah. He's definitely using them and it's it's a whole another uh episode to talk about well what is that agenda? Because I do think it has something to do with God, but it also has something to do with us. And so that's, that's a whole other conversation. But, but the, uh, the third is the adjective, and this means a shining one, or bronze, or brass. And, you know, back in their day, bronze and brass were often used as mirrors because they would shine them and they would reflect. As, as one guy likes it tall, it's kind of like a, a triple entendre. There's a triple meaning going on with this term, and I don't think the writer is intending for us to only think about a talking snake. Right. It's it's multi-layered. So you know he th- this uh, this entity because we've talked about the divine council, and we've talked about the Garden of Eden being kind of like a tabernacle, a temple, and that the um, Eden was a mountain, and it was potentially the place where God's divine council was residing. And so what we have here is it could be a defected member of the divine council. It could be one of the spiritual beings that was a faithful member of God's heavenly host and is now gone rogue. And we, of course, don't know when that happened. It could have happened right here in, in this story, or it could have happened before, like, before God created the earth. Like we don't know when this being defected, but they are they have gone rogue. They have rebelled. They're working against God and his creation. So
0: And we do know some of these beings did have a serpentile type of appearance, a scaly type of appearance. Is yes. That
1: true? Yes. Uh in fact, like one of the the point of reference for this would be Isaiah six where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, and then it says that he sees seraphim that have wings. And this term seraph is a term for serpent, and that serpent has wings. And, you know, in the fairy tale books, what do you call a serpentine figure that has wings? Well, it's called a dragon. So there are members of God's heavenly host that have a serpentine appearance or a shining appearance uh serpentine so there there's all kinds of uh yeah ways you could go with this right uh, it's it's kind of important to get a feel for the villain here because this villain is going to be showing up throughout the whole bible and it's it's not just one villain the villain has a team and uh you know we're going to the very foundations of where things got off track here and that villain is active today so this is not just some story about what happened way back then. This villain is very active today. So it's good to know your enemy.
0: Yes, agreed. And um, just like in the movies, the villain, they usually do some backstory on the villain so you know who is this. Yeah. Who is this guy or who is this lady? Yeah,
1: like the heroes and other people get character development where you see their backstory and you see how they've changed and how they've evolved. And yeah, that's a great point. So that's kind of like what we're trying to do right now, is right. we're trying to do a little character development of the villain. Okay. The villain here has a very strategic approach. There, there is a strategy. And the first thing he does is he basically gets Eve to doubt God's word, the words that God has spoken. And this is really important because, you know, Genesis 1 frames the creation of the world through God's word that God's word is very creative, it's very potent. You know, some people like to say that words create worlds. And they really do. And so when you start to attack the word that someone has spoken, you're going to their integrity. You're going to the very generative source of someone's being is when you start to attack their words. And so uh, he says, you know, has God really said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And he's just kind of very subtle, you know. He's just kind of sowing a seed of doubt. Did God really say that? Are you sure? And what's interesting here is Eve was not around when God actually spoke that. It was only Adam that we know of. If you're just limiting ourselves to the storyline here, Eve was not present when God spoke this. She was not created yet. And so Eve probably learned this from Adam unless God showed up and personally spoke it to her too, which we don't know if he did or not. So she's kind of passing on to him what was uh, told to her. So it's it's one of the main strategies of the enemy is to kind of uh, get us to doubt what God has said to us. I think that's kind of important to, to draw out, and we see this theme in the Scriptures that if, if you want to get in between our relationship and God, then you go after the words that God has spoken. Mm -hmm. That's where you start.
0: Right. The deceiver, divinizer, liar, like all of those things are probably the number one strategy of the enemy.
1: It's definitely foundational. That's right. Yeah, creating doubt. He starts out by getting her to doubt, and then she says, you know, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden... God has said, you shall not eat it. And then what's interesting is that she adds her own words in there, nor shall you touch it. Now, did she get that from Adam? Maybe. Adam could have added something in there to what God had already said, but she could have added it in. But that's not actually what God said. Something got added to what the Lord had said there.
0: Which is easy for us to do also.
1: Right. (laughs) I mean, I do it all the time.
0: Yeah. You know. You, you hear God say something to you, and then you're like, assume.
1: Oh, and that means this.
0: Right. Yeah. It's easy to do.
1: No doubt. So he starts by doing doubt, and then he just flat out directly denies what God has said. And he says, you are not going to die. It's like, whoa, hey, there's, there's a contradiction. There's an opposing force coming against what God has said. And so he denies it, and then he goes even more sinister. Um, He gets even more to the core is that he starts getting her to doubt God's character or God's intentions towards them. He he basically kind of says, look, God's holding out on you. He knows that if you eat this, you're going to be like him, and he's power hungry, and he doesn't want you to become everything that you can become. He wants to hold you down. He wants to hold you back. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. And he's going to the very core of how they see God. It's it's just a very clever strategy. And like we see him doing this in our life all the time. We get kind of conditioned and trained into, you know, doubting. Does God actually love us? Does God actually want what's best for us?
0: Yeah, I think. If you're looking at this, it's kind of true, actually, that they would know good and evil, that they, in that way, they would be more like God. Mm -hmm. But what he doesn't talk about is God's plan for them, God's intended path for them. And what he doesn't tell here is that God knows the best path to get them to that place, and he's not telling them... Hey, this will come one day, one day you will be mature enough to know good and evil, to be like God in that way, and to understand that more, or even that God wants you to be in that place, that he wants you to get there. He's not saying all those things, he's just saying, well, he doesn't want you to be like him, he doesn't want you to see these things. But really, the big story is that God has a plan to get them there. He has a plan to mature them and to grow them and and to one day be ready to receive that fruit.
1: It's a really important thing you're bringing up here because whenever we think about this story, we rarely think that, oh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is kind of probationary. In other words, they would eventually be able to eat it. And, you know, my understanding of, you know, when it says that they're made in the image of God and the likeness of God is that the image is somewhat static, but likeness of God is is dynamic. In other words, they could become more and more like God, like they could grow and mature into it. And if they did continue to grow and mature, they would eventually eat that fruit because that's what it means to be like God, is to know good and evil.
0: Yeah, and it's not a bad fruit. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, it's it's bad only if you get it too early, if you take it prematurely.
0: Just like you don't tell your children certain things because they're not ready to know that kind of evil or that kind of...
1: Right. You like know. you watch out what kind of movies they watch or what kind of things you expose them to. So, yeah, the enemy's being very clever here because he's he's distorting the truth. Because it is true that they would be like God, but he's taking that truth and he's distorting it, and that's part of his strategy. You know, a, a half-truth is still a lie, that kind of thing. So... We would, of course, wanted to bridge this and anchor it into a New Testament passage about the profile of the enemy. So we're going to go up to uh, John chapter 8, and it's going to be starting from verse 44. In this particular passage, Jesus has been arguing with the Pharisees. They've been picking a fight. Jesus has actually been you know, having a dialogue with them. And basically, they're, they're actually trying to kill him. They're, they have a very sinister plot. Uh, to murder him. And so he kind of reaches this point where he just like speaks very directly to them. And he says, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's almost like he's saying that lying is his native tongue. It's like, how do you know he's lying? He's speaking.
0: It comes natural.
1: (laughs) It comes natural. And that he was a murderer from the beginning. And so, you know, he facilitates Adam and Eve eating this fruit, which facilitates death in them. And I think that's probably what he's referring to. You know, Jesus is, is basically saying, look, the enemy can have such an influence on you that you end up doing the very thing that he does, which is lying or killing. That's exactly what the enemy is trying to do in Jesus' life. Is he's trying to facilitate the murder of Jesus. This story in Genesis is giving us definitely a profile of how the enemy works, And, you know, the role of the villain is to essentially facilitate death. That's what they really want. They really want death. We don't know if that's just what they want. It could be that they want to kill us because they know that would hurt God. So there could be some triangulation going on there in the sense of divination, you know, manipulating the situation to get an outcome. But... Either way you look at it, the enemy is only about destruction. And and that, that comes out really clearly in that story in Genesis.
0: It is pretty obvious here. And as we're closing this episode out, let's bring it home, bring it to a more personal level. And the truth is that the devil is trying to lie and he's trying to get you to not trust God, to not believe that he has the best for you, but the truth is that God, God's plan for you is the best. His path for you to mature and to grow and to your fullness is the best. And the enemy does want to stop us. He, he wants to kill us. He wants to steal that from us. He wants us to doubt God and his intentions towards us. So we do need to be aware of that, of his schemes against us and against God's plan for us. If you keep reading in in John 8, it says, whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. Mm. And I think that we have words in the Bible that are truth, truths about us that we can believe and declare that God says about us, but also... We will hear God's words. We will hear his plan and his direction in our life. And if you're not sure about that, then I encourage you to to ask God what is what is your best path? What what's the best way for me to go? And it can be small things, it can be big things. Keep asking questions to God about what his plans for you are, because I guarantee you they're better than what you you have in mind for yourself. Mm -hmm. I think I want to end with a prayer, something that I pray often, because we do need help, like I need help, not allowing lies into my mind. I need help. Sometimes just discerning, you know, what's truth and what's not, because sometimes it gets confusing. Holy Spirit, we come to you for help. And we ask in Jesus' name that you will cleanse us of anything that is not from him or for him. We ask you to clean out the lies, the deceit. Clean out anything that is not coming from you and fill us with you, Father God. Fill us with you, Jesus. Guide us, Holy Spirit, into your perspective, into your path and your way for us. We want to follow you. We trust you. And thank you for wanting the best for us. Continue to show us who you truly are and who we are to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Well, guys, we are out of time. So let's close it out here. If you guys have any questions or have comments, please go to the link that we have posted in our notes. And you can go to our website and ask a question or leave a comment. I really appreciate you guys listening today, and we will catch you next time.